You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Welcome to the Missionary Perspective Podcast, and we're excited uh, that you're joining us. We're, uh, count it, we count it a privilege uh, and an honor that you spend this time with us, and we hope that uh, this podcast is being a blessing to you. We have been looking the past couple weeks at the theme of team missions. Team missions is something that looks good on paper, but it's not always that easy to implement in real life. And so I know at the end of this podcast, uh, Eric, you're going to share some thoughts on maybe uh, reapproaching how we define team even. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to listen to your thoughts on that. I think you got some good thoughts on that. But we're continuing an article that we looked at last week. I actually found it on academia.edu. So this is a serious article. I'm going to share it this week. I didn't share the article last week because uh, I wanted to leave you in suspense until we finish it out. But I'm going to share the article uh, uh, this week so you can go and check it out. But it talks about a few few essential elements uh, that contribute to a healthy team atmosphere. Uh, The first two, we began with the element of trust, okay? And uh, trust is an important thing. And Eric mentioned last week, whether it's your marriage or whether it's working on a team, uh, no matter what the context is, it's important to develop trust. And that goes both ways. As a missionary who's working on a team, you need to develop trust in that you are, uh, you're portraying faithfulness. You're being diligent and faithful to the task that you've been assigned and you're responsible and, and gifted to. And then as well, if you're a leader on a team, you need to develop trust uh, from those who you are leading. And so that means making wise decisions, making sure you're including everybody in decision-making and uh, making sure that you're right with the Lord and seeking the Lord's will above all. Uh, Then we looked at task conflict. I think task conflict was a really important aspect. That's something we could spend a whole lot more time on. But uh, the author basically spoke about anytime there is a problem and more than one solution is proposed, it's important to understand that that conflict is not necessarily a negative thing, but that a team, and especially the leader of the team, needs to be able to take the multiple solutions to a singular problem and then kind of synchronize those solutions to create a mega solution. And that's where the benefits of working on a team can come from. When all voices are heard and then the best The best solution is proposed, and then it's implemented. But then he also talked about relationship conflict. And Eric, I think that relationship conflict, we talked a lot about that. That's where kind of problems arise, but then we make it personal. And uh, that, that, from probably both our observations, can lead to a lot of disasters on the mission field. It can cause missionaries to want to go home. And maybe just speak a little bit to that before we move on to the next point. It is probably, if you're talking about a team concept and you're considering entering a team or receiving someone in your team, it's probably the one that you need to be most aware of. Uh, Understand, you know, I think it's really good to take personality tests beforehand, before your marriage, obviously, but even before you receive um, teammates or go be part of a team and understand the personalities that you're going to be working with, because not all personalities work together. 
Well, and some personalities, because they're different, they do work together well. And so understanding that because conflicts do arise, there's so much pressure, real life pressure that comes from living in, a, in another, in a third culture, basically, you know, in the sense of it's not my culture. Uh, you're living in a second culture, but you're raising third culture kids. And so there's elements there. Um, and so it is natural, not only in a teammate situation, but in an own marriage to have conflicts and situations that arise. And so it's not that we were saying, hey, be prepared for a lot of bad stuff, but understand that these pressures will arise and how you handle them, how you deal with that conflict. It's not a question of if, but when. And so really it's about preparing yourself that when we have personality conflicts, how will we resolve those? And that's that's vital. Uh, I think maybe sometimes people go in it with the rose colored glasses thinking there won't be problems. This is my buddy. I like this guy. No, you know, just like in a marriage, there's going to be conflict and how you deal with that conflict will determine if that will continue uh, in a blessed way. Yeah, there's so much that goes into creating a healthy team atmosphere and personality plays a role in how you get along with one another. Um, there are things you don't find out about your spouse until after marriage, but that doesn't mean that you just, uh, you, you can ignore those things. You have to learn to work through those and mature. And one of the things that happens on a team, especially when a new missionary joins, uh, and you're overseas, there's so much that you're trying to consume. There's so much information coming at you. So many changes that, a good team leader on a mission team is going to recognize when there is cognitive overload. This is what the author uh, describes it as. He calls it cognitive overload when uh, there's just so much information that's being thrown at you that you some people just can't process everything at the same time. And a good team leader is able to take all of the information that's coming at them uh, with the team, with problems, with with the context of the culture and the stresses that a, maybe a two, new team member is coming through, and a good team leader is going to be able to bear the burden of that of that information overload, so that maybe a younger missionary, a new missionary, isn't overwhelmed. I've seen it happen personally, uh, where a younger missionary family comes in, they just get so overwhelmed, their senses are so overwhelmed, and if left alone and not if they don't have team members coming alongside them, helping them through the process, if you have a team member who, who's a veteran missionary and he's just looking for somebody to alleviate his work responsibility uh, and he just throws it on you before you've been able to um, evaluate and really learn how to deal with all of this information being thrown at you, uh, it can be very stressful. And so a leader needs to learn to recognize when a teammate is going through cognitive overload. Uh, he says an atmosphere should also exist in a team which prevents cognitive overload. The refusal to deal with all of the available information due to time, cognitive or emotional limitations. A person may go into cognitive overload when there is a lot of information, limited ability to examine the information, or a tendency to get angry when faced with threatening situations. And for this reason, it is essential for teams to have leaders who can interpret and integrate large amounts of information quickly and clearly. People who risk going into co cognitive overload may appreciate not having to be involved in making some of the group's complex decisions. Certainly the other group members would appreciate it. And so uh, maybe there's an expectation that 
you as a leader put on somebody else and they're able to handle that, you need to recognize when somebody else on the team can't handle the same level of information or responsibility um, at the same time. And so that I think is an important part of developing a healthy team and uh, dealing with task conflict, recognizing everybody's emotional limitations and then not letting it carry, like you said, you know, not letting that carry over into personality conflict. Learning to distinguish the two is important. So we're going to enter into the next three, try to get through these within an hour. The third element or component of a healthy team is what he calls in the article, a commitment to decisions. All right. Now, when you're working alone, Eric, you, you make a decision. And then when you commit to that decision, it's, it's kind of easy if you're the only one you're the only one expected to commit to it. And so you're just going to implement it and do it. When you're working as a team, it's important that everybody feels that they are playing a role in this decision that is being made. So that's part of the task conflict. Everybody is heard. But now we need to make sure everybody on the team is on the same page with committing to fulfilling that decision that has been made. It's one thing, Eric, if you make a decision and everybody you know, concurs with that decision, but then implementing it, that's a whole nother thing. Have you had in your personal ministry working either with a missionary in the past or maybe with a national leader, have you come to a conclusion, maybe made a decision and you felt like your team is, is we're on the same page. And then when it came to implementing that decision, it just, <laughs> you weren't on the same page. Yeah, this has happened um, probably more than I remember because I probably try to take them out of my, my, my mind, my memory. Um, but it is an amazing, um, dichotomy is not the word, but it is, it's so different when you are working by yourself as the lead missionary with maybe just other church members and nationals uh, helping alongside opposed to in a team setting because there is a... <clears throat> There is an aspect where you are going through all the scenarios, but you're really kind of working through it yourself and maybe with your wife. And if you need to make changes, those around you are very, they're not always attentive to how maybe things might be changed here or there. But if you're in a group setting, changes are big. Changes can be big to their schedules, can be big to uh, vision, big to uh, people's responsibilities. So I know in my personal life, in our, in our, in our work setting here that over the years is probably the thing that's one of the most difficult to, to handle as the leader of a team is to understand that when you make changes, it's not just affecting you, your wife, your kids, maybe your church family, but it's changing another family and their, and their schedule and, and this other, uh, you know, gentleman and how uh, they see the ministry. And so you have to be very careful to criticize someone who doesn't fully embrace something that you have not done a good job explaining, uh, maybe considering their thoughts in it. Uh, in my case, or the observations I've seen not only in our experiences, but around uh, this island, I think most people want to get, want to work together. Well, they want to have harmony and peace. They, they generally, most missionaries I know have based the basic same goals as people saved, discipled, see churches established. So when there are conflicts, usually it's it's a communication problem. It's uh, not considering people who really want the best for you. And maybe we don't even receive critiques well. It's not even criticism, maybe just observations. And so personally, I have seen that. I've seen people who 
Um, maybe didn't get behind something the way I thought, or maybe I didn't get behind their idea. As I look back now, like I, I'm thinking of a silly thing, but I'll give you, for instance, <clears throat> a bunch of years ago, one of our teammates, uh, wanted to have like coffee and donuts in the morning for church. <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. The problem is, and which is the case in many Latin cultures, the Dominicans are very known to be late. And I had thought of that before. They really had a desire to do it. And I'm thinking, and I even voiced it, you know, my only fear is this is going to make our services start even later because they're not going to roll in and go, oh, I missed out on the coffee and donuts. So they're going to get in late and they're going to eat the coffee and donuts. And we're not going to start for 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, and so uh, I let them do it. But I, looking back, I kind of pulled the plug on it early and I realized I, I did not give it a chance. I didn't I didn't support them as well as I should have on their decision to try it out. And I, I probably uh, didn't support them like they supported me in more decisions. And so you learn those things over years and trial and error that, you know, it, it is a give and take. And you should, when you say yes to something, you should really get behind it and give it your all and, uh, and allow the Lord to close the door. And so that is a very key part in teams. It's really being committed, whether you're the lead missionary or the one that's kind of the, the B missionary helping out, you, you need to have that commitment to this is what we've decided to do until we change it. Let's give it our 100% effort. Yeah, certainly. I think as a, if you're a team leader who has a personality who, um, who is more like the Apostle Paul, right? I think when you look at his relationship with Barnabas and then John Mark, okay, for example, John Mark quit. He quit the team, you know, when they just set out. He's, I'm going home, you know, whatever his reason was, it's not given. But Paul felt... You know, I, he fooled me once, you know, shame on you. You're not going to fool me twice. I, I can't count on this guy. And he, he wouldn't give him a second chance until later, you know, in life. We, we know how the story ends. And Paul uh, seems to, he finds, you know, value in John Mark's ministry and all of that. But the point is, some are like, well, you know, sometimes as a leader, when you decide, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And then those that are working with you or under you or whatever, however you want to define it as a team, when they don't fulfill their responsibilities, sometimes the first thing we can do is say, well, fine, I'll just do it myself, right? And then we leave everybody else out and we just plow ahead. When, if that is your personality, maybe step back and ask yourself, okay, did I communicate clearly uh, what my intentions were, and did we really come to a consensus in understanding what our objective was here and what the decision was? Especially if you're working with nationals, it depends on what country you're from and working in. But a lot of cultures, if you are a, a an authority figure, they're just going to agree with you. And especially if you're a foreigner, they're not, they don't want to shame you. The last thing they want to do is shame you by disagreeing with the decision. It may be an absolutely terrible idea. It could put yourself in an embarrassing situation, but they don't want to shame you by pointing out that, hey, you're wrong on this. And so they may agree to it and assent to it, but then when it actually comes to implementing it, you're out there on your own and they're nowhere to be found. So instead of blaming others for, well, they're just not getting behind me, you need to take a step back and say, okay, is there something that I miscommunicated as a leader as we're making these commitment to a decision? Make sure everybody's on the same page. Now read this. This is important from the article under the heading of commitment to decisions. He says, commitment to a team decision 
means that each missionary personally believes that he or she should carry out the responsibilities that are associated with the decision. This benefits a team not only by making implementation of the decision more likely, but also that by producing an environment that promotes cooperation rather than competition, and by making team members more open to new strategies to accomplish what has been planned. I think that's a key right there when working on a team. You've got to avoid this, this tendency that we can sometimes have of creating an atmosphere of competition. Have you ever worked with somebody or maybe observed another missionary team or observed another missionary where it seems like they're more interpreting relationship as team or as missions, your work and their work, more as a competition rather than a cooperation. Have you have you seen that at all, or is 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 it resonating with you? It is with me. It's interesting because you know I've been very fortunate that in our cases that that actually hasn't been a situation. Um, and now that I'm thinking, um, maybe I can think back. Oh, when I first got here, there was a team that maybe suffered from that. But I've been think I've been very blessed that the people who've come alongside, I feel for the most part you know, they saw it as we are assisting the Johnsons and maybe because of our being established here for a while. Um, I, on the other hand, maybe saw the other pendulum where people needed a lot more lifting up and, and being understood that I saw them more as, as equals and part of the ministry. So I actually haven't, that doesn't resonate with me, although I'm sure it exists. Maybe the reason that is, is that if that happens, it doesn't last very long. So maybe that has happened. And, and I'm just not aware of it with other people's ministries because they start as teams and they had competition and it, it broke apart. Well, that's it, right? If if you're not viewing it as a competition, which it's not, right? We're all workers, servants of God in the kingdom of God. But if but if you do view it as a competition, that will, you know, my, my ministry versus your ministry and how many people are going to your church and how big a building did you build? When you get, when you get down into those petty uh, things, what Paul says, comparing each other among each other, when you get to that level, uh, not only does it produce a lot of pettiness, but it can also produce re- resentment and bitterness. And that's where relationship begins to break apart. Yeah. Well, and for me, I, I can be truly honest to say this, that in my absence on furloughs, when teammates were taking over the helm, nothing brought me more joy than to see a big day, a full church, more people at church than when I was there, because that proved that the church was uh, growing and doing well and healthy and had wasn't based on the personality of the, of the first missionary or the second missionary. So that's really the heart that every missionary should have is that, you know, this is, this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, there should be no competition at all. Oh, that's so important. You make such an important point. That is the job of the missionary. And you're not building a church on your personality. You're not building a work on your own method and your own abilities. You're, you want a mature church, a mature body of believers that are built up on Jesus Christ. And whether you're there or whether you're absent, it continues to move forward. And I think when we, when we, yeah, we begin to define our success by what we've accomplished and we compare ourselves with others, it, it just, it doesn't turn out well in the end. And um, I've seen it firsthand with just that type of attitude of, of competing and looking at other people's work and just, it, it can either be discouraging or it can give you a false sense of success. You look at one person and say, oh man, you know, I've done way more than he's done. Or you look at another person and say, oh man, you know, like, uh, 
they're doing so much more than me and man, I'm just, you know, I'm no good. And so it can, it's not a good place to be. It's the Lord's work and you're, you're putting your trust in the Lord. But again, when it comes to working on a team, that's it. You, you need to find that unity. Um, and the way you find that unity is learning how the diversity of personalities and giftings on a team can all plug in together to create uh, an, an effective team, an effective group of believers that can do the work of evangelism uh, more effectively than even just one missionary by himself. And so, you know, commitment to a decision is important. You can, one of the things he says uh, in the article, he says one of the primary, there are two primary predictors of commitment to decision. He said the first is the quality of the decisions, okay? So if you're a team leader, not only do you need to consider all of the options on the table and then seek the Lord's will to implement the wisest, you need to be able to understand, not just be selfish and stubborn and say, well, this is just the way it's worked before, this way we've always done it, but you need to implement wise strategies, take into consideration, you know, everything, and then implement that. But then he says, not only is quality of the decision important, he said, that's actually a weaker sign of a healthy commitment to decision. He said, what actually, and they did a study and they took polls, and what actually creates an even more healthy atmosphere of commitment to decision, he said, a far better predictor of commitment to decisions is the degree to which team members believe they have had a voice in the decision-making process. So again, that's where it comes. We go back to, if you're on a team, everybody's voice needs to be heard. Everybody's concern needs to be heard. And the team leader needs to be able to take those decisions. And then if it applies to one team member, don't just force something you think is best for them, but learn to make decisions and implement them using their giftings and ability, but make sure you hear everybody's voice and everybody uh, has an input on it. And once that takes place, everybody will be more apt to commit to fulfilling that decision. And so, you know, right now on our team, Pastor Malik and I, uh, we don't have a you know, mission team right now. Uh, it's just ourselves, like your situation. But um, even when when I'm going to make a big decision about a new ministry we want to implement, I'll get in touch with other missionaries that are in our area or that have done similar things. Um, so missionary in Ivory Coast that I'll you know contact if they've already implemented something. I'll try to try to get somebody else's input. So if you're by yourself working alone, yeah, you can make any decision you want and commit to it. Doesn't mean it's the wisest decision. So learn to to go out and seek wise input as if there were other people on your team, seek out veteran missionaries, try to get as much input as you can, and then come to a conclusion and implement that decision. Uh, the second, or third, what are we on? Our fourth, there's two more left. He says another factor uh, of a and healthy missionary team is accountability. I like how he defines it. He says accountability may be defined as the expectation that one may be called on to justify one's beliefs, feelings, and actions to others. What generally, when you hear the term accountability, what do you define that as for yourself? What do you hear? Well, it's funny you say that because I think you were mentioning this recently, and maybe in an encounter you've had with other missionaries over the years, and how just the natural flow. I think you were playing tennis with a missionary. This gentleman was really good at drawing things out and, you know, asking things, maybe not seemingly intrusive, even though they were, uh, but more in a relaxed setting. I think that's a good idea of accountability is the idea of 
being very honest with everyone, being honest with those, especially who either are peers or those who might even have authority in your life. You know, we are to be accountable to so many different people when we're on the mission field. First of all, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our home church, the supporting churches, our our family. And then, you know, in some cases, we've allowed other people to be in our lives, missionaries who work as a team with us, or sometimes just fellow missionaries who have close proximity. Recently had a great lunch uh, about a week and a half ago with my dear friend, Lonnie Hammonds. We've had him as a guest. You know, Lonnie is a great, great friend, a great conversationalist, a very interesting person who likes to take interest in the ones he's speaking to, listens, remembers. And, and Lonnie had a great phrase. I'm sure he didn't invent it, but he uses it. And I'm going to borrow it from him in my life. And when he's sitting down with a good friend, he looks in the eye and he says, all right, let's see if I can say this correctly. He says, what are you carrying and what are you celebrating? I thought that was great. Just two little words. You know, what, what kind of uh, things in life are you carrying that I can help carry with you, pray with you, uh, that opens up and that allows you to be accountable to a friend that way? And then what are you celebrating? And I can honestly say accountability does. It's not just about, you know, confessing I'm struggling in this area or I need help in this area. But accountability also is a part, a great part of friendship and being accountable to people is finding out what they're happy about, what they're celebrating. I have seen missionaries in the mission field. I know personally when, when we were greatly blessed at a certain season of our life, when we were building our first church building, and I'll just say sooner than, than a lot of missionaries, you know, the Lord just blessed our circumstances and there's nothing more to say other than it was the Lord's good blessing, good favor. I remember a veteran missionary who had been on the field far longer, who was a super faithful missionary. The, the fact that they hadn't been able to buy a property and build had nothing to do with his character or his ability as a missionary. And I just remember that phone call, you know, just encouraging and so excited for us. And so accountability has so much to do with personal relationships. Sometimes it's like I said, peer to peer and sometimes it's authority. But accountability, I think, is really rooted in honesty uh, to those who want the best in your life. Yeah, I think accountability begins with yourself, of course. You have to be honest with yourself. And I like what, how he defines it. He says, it's the expectation that one may be called on to justify one's beliefs, feelings, and actions to others. Can you give a reason for your belief? Peter talks about this in the scriptures. He says, we need to be always ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason of our hope that is within us. That is accountability for your faith. I, it drives me crazy when people talk about the blind faith of Christians, and especially if it's a Christian talking about, well, I just trust it, you know? No, it's not a blind faith. It is it is rooted in the authority of God's word, but it's, it's filtered through the reason of our human mind. The Bible talks about being transformed in your mind by the renewing of the spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is going to take the word of God and it's going to transform our reasoning, our, our human logic, and it will produce good reason and answer for why we believe what we believe. And it begins with a good team accountability. If there's going to be a healthy atmosphere of a healthy team, that we must be held accountable one to another, but it begins with the leader. The leader has to be able to justify why do you believe this is the best decision? Uh, you have to be able to justify, why do you feel that way? Um, you know, if another missionary is like, well, I just don't feel like I'm being included. Well, give us your reasons why. And a leader needs to be able to take that into consideration 
and listen to that or the actions, you know, this is how I think we should implement it. Step one, two, and three. And here is why that's what accountability is all about. Um, a lot of times we think it's about, you know, just trying to expose if we're doing wrong or not, that should be a part that can be a part of it, but that's more the accountability of a personal friendship. Like you mentioned earlier, if I don't feel close to you, I'm not going to share, you know, secret areas of my life. But if we're cultivating a friendship, and again, if I'm sincere in my faith and I'm sincere with my walk in the Lord, then um, I'm going to try to be accountable to you by always trying to have a reason. A, a person who is a, going to be accountable to others is a thinking person. It's somebody who has learned to reason things out. Um, this carries over to a lot of different aspects. I would say for missionary, if you're going to learn the worldview or the mindset of the culture and religion of the people group you're called to reach, then you need to learn to try to reason the way that they have reasoned their own faith and their own practices. One of the exercises that I like to implement in my own personal life is if I'm having a discussion with somebody who is of a different faith or a different belief system or worldview, whether it's a Muslim, whether it's Roman Catholic, or whether it's an atheist, when I'm having discussions and they bring up opposition or questions or they bring up, you know, things that they view as being wrong, I try to do this mental exercise where I say to myself, okay, what if I'm wrong and they're right? Can I defend their position and uh, opposite of what I believe? And that way I can try to break down instead of just defending it from my own point of view, I can try to approach it from their point of view. And because I know that I hold to truth, the truth of the gospel, I'm going to come around eventually to the understanding of who God is, but I've approached it from their direction. And so now I'm able to reason through scriptures in a way that's comprehensible to them. And I think that's the same on a team. As a team leader, you have to be able to put yourself in the place of others, but you have to first make yourself accountable to others by being open and being honest and, and giving reasons. Have you ever encountered a leader, Eric, maybe in your personal ministry or just in passing? Have you observed those type of leaders who basically they just give an order without asking, like you can't ask questions, you, you just do what I say? Or have you encountered leaders where they give an order and everybody just says, yes, that's a, you know, they just go along with it. Is that healthy? Uh, I think predominantly we understand that it's not healthy. Um, I think you know, there, there are, as we talk about teammates, and I think we're on our third podcast on that, uh, I can sincerely say that some of the, some wonderful missionaries I know, these are wonderful missionaries, not bad missionaries. I know for a fact, because that is more of their mindset, more of how they were trained. I think a lot of it has to do with your training. There, there's definitely within our circles and the independent Baptist circles that came out of post-World War II, uh, there is a generation that that is very commonplace. And they would have their principles to even explain why they believe if it's a man of God, it says it, you know, you don't question it. And we're not even talking about questioning here. We're talking about working together as a team, but because that was a mindset and that's where they learned uh, the pattern from a pastor that say in North America, they've translated that to another culture. And I think we know in, in this day and age that um, some of those principles they tried to point to many years ago were stretched significantly. And that doesn't usually work in a team setting. So I have seen that. And once again, I'm not even necessarily criticizing this person for their, their work as a missionary. They've done wonderful things mm -hmm. for the Lord. But if we're talking about having a cohesive group that works well together, where there's 
uh, joint satisfaction in the ministry, uh, voices to be heard. Uh, that usually doesn't work as the case of, uh, and I have seen them work with, with teammates and it, it, it doesn't last very long. Um, and it's not, it's not uh, extraordinary. And it's interesting. I didn't get a chance to finish the thought on the previous point. And it's interesting how these are kind of building blocks. Um, they aren't, they aren't exclusively separated at all. They're actually kind of building on each other. And as you were talking about how a good team won't only seek the, the thoughts and opinions of those a part of the team, but even reaching without and asking for other missionaries to maybe come alongside. And, you know, one of the things I think I really did try, I don't like to make the decision by myself. I do feel like when you have a consensus and uh, just, the, you know, the, the proverb is so true that there is wisdom in the multitude of uh, counselors. And so people who have gone before you, who have the experience, people who are mature in the faith, they can steer you right. They, they don't usually have any hidden agenda, and especially if they don't really have any, you know, if things go well, if things go bad, then there's no consequence to them. You know, you want to listen to those mature believers and then include your teammates in that. I remember specifically when we were making the decision to buy property different times, we not only included the church people who have intimate knowledge of said locations and, and owners, we included, um, you know, we included other missionaries. Hey, have you experienced things like this? And I think everyone can have so much more confidence in the decision when they realize it wasn't done as a, a lone wolf, this we've all prayed about this. We've all sought godly counsel, follow the biblical pattern. And so when we do that, there is great accountability that if things don't go maybe the way we planned, one person is not feeling the brunt of the pressure. It's like, well, we, we saw it after the Lord. So let's be a little more patient. I'm preaching here last Thursday, last night, Thursday night on the life of Abraham. You know, what a great story, but you know, Abraham had God's promises Time and time and again, and he just wasn't patient on the Lord, patient with the Lord, and really suffered a lot of a lot of stumbling blocks and problems in his life. And I think for accountability, if we've made the decision together, then we can we can go through the the, the rough valleys and, and difficulties with a joint sense of well, you know, we're just waiting on the Lord on this one. Yeah, certainly. And one of the things he says, like you said, these are building blocks one upon another. You're looking at creating decision and um, dealing with conflict by bringing in multiple solutions and coming up with one big solution that can deal with the conflict. That's the task conflict. And then uh, everybody has to commit to the decision. Once a solution has been found, we're going to commit to a decision. But then how do you avoid some of the pitfalls of accountability? He writes down here, sometimes if a team just wants to please their leader, They'll just go along with any decision he makes if you find yourself in that situation. Now, I will say this. I think that's a rare situation to find on a independent Baptist missionary team, okay? You're, I don't think you're going to find maybe a lot, you know, on a missionary team, uh, a lot of team members that are just like, oh, yeah, let's just do whatever the, you know, without any pushback or feedback. Yeah, exactly. Now, I will say this at the same time, um, if you're the type of leader that feels like any type of question that is directed toward a decision that you want to make is criticism of your leadership or your position as the man of God, uh, that's an issue. That's a problem. That's not healthy. That's actually the opposite of accountability. And so one of the things he says is to create this 
atmosphere of accountability, if you're the team leader, if you want to avoid just having yes men all around you, just going along with anything you say, or if you want to cultivate a healthy atmosphere where everybody feels like their input is being given. And I'll add on top of this, when you make a decision, if that decision is going to be comprehended by the team so they can implement that decision, and you have to have questions, you have to have people reasoning out your decision uh, so that they themselves comprehend why you're coming to that decision. So he gives an example in this article. He said, if team leaders ask each team member to present a specific idea for starting a new ministry, uh, it would be wise to include, have each missionary say, all right, give me five reasons why you would be for starting this ministry and five reasons against starting this ministry so that you can create some deep thinking and examination of the issues which would be more likely to occur. He says this process is called preemptive self-criticism, all right? If you, as the leader, say, here's the problem and here's my solution, what do you guys think? Well, you've already told them what you expect, okay? So the wise leader is going to say, here's the problem, throw, throw me some ideas. You may already know what you want to do, but you got to start with including everybody else, let them give their thought process through. And then as they, you understand their reasoning process of how they would approach this problem, now you can say, oh, wait a second, I didn't see it from that angle. You can now criticize your own decision so that you're not making a decision that is vulnerable to uh, weakness because you've made it on your own. And then it creates frustration in the team because they see that weakness in your decision that you didn't approach it that direction. It makes total sense, uh, but it's, it, it can be hard to implement. And one thing yeah. too about self-criticism, if the other person has already thought of some negative uh, possibilities, you know, I'm sure you're like this, Josh. If I were to say to you, Josh, why don't you do this thing you've never done before? Well, you probably have already thought about it and you've got seven good reasons why not. And so sometimes, even though we're so quote unquote wise, we've thought it through, we can really crush somebody really quickly as the leader. And if you get crushed a few times, you're going to stop having fresh ideas. And so as a leader, you want to be real careful. You want to be real careful about this. And I think a good advice is like, let's say you're starting to think about how can we revamp evangelism instead of getting your 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 yellow pad out and going through everything hold off a second make it very nonchalant when you're playing golf or basketball or having a coffee and say hey i've been thinking maybe we should redo some things about evangelism but i'm just kind of just starting to think about it what do you think and then you're kind of going down that journey together instead of really being you know two miles down the road and you've got the whole thing mapped out and you're really ready to show them why you can't take this road and that road and i think i've done that poorly in the past. And I've tried to learn uh, through my mistakes that. Yeah, that's important. He, and we'll finish this point with what he writes. He said, when missionaries preemptively self-criticize, they become more open-minded as they process information more deeply and weigh the pros and cons of their idea. This in turn leads to a more effective missionary team. And so uh, take that into consideration as you are working in a team. Uh, don't be afraid if you are not a team leader, you're on a missionary team, don't be afraid to put your input and say, hey, this is really how I think uh, things should be implemented. And if you're a team leader, make sure, yeah, you're approaching it by letting everybody else give their insight and input, especially if they're veteran missionaries, especially if they've been on uh, the mission field and have had experience and have viewed things, their, their input is going to help you uh, make better decisions as a team leader. So don't 
don't don't just come in guns blazing and then say, okay, what what are your ideas, right? So that's important. Now he finishes off with uh, this aspect called group goals. He said the fifth and final element of effective teams is group goals. The utility of group goals is important and most widely supported finding concerning group effectiveness in organizational sciences. Okay, so they did actual empirical studies. He said there were four empirical findings which are especially applicable to mission work. So he said, the first concerns specific versus general goals. So missionaries and teams which set specific goals, i.e. each team member will for example, you're going to each one telephones uh, 10 people this week, or you're going to visit two houses, or you're going to follow up or whatever the case may be. You have a specific goal. These teams will perform better than missionaries and teams which set vague general goals. This carries over to your church as well. If you're a pastor and say, hey, we need to just get out there and evangelize. You're going to get a lot more done as a church if you say, hey, this week we're setting a goal. Each member, you know, invite 10 people get 10 people out, you know, to church and try to at least out of those 10, bring one person to church or whatever the goal. When you set specific goals, you're more apt to see something produced out of that rather than just making vague statements. Would you agree? Absolutely. And uh, I can also shine the spotlight on myself and say, this is a great weakness. You know, it is so true. You know, he, what's the old phrase? He, that you know, has no goal, hits it every time, basically, the idea exactly. is that. And so, you know, setting goals is not easy uh, because a lot of times we don't hit our goals and sometimes we don't like to feel like we've failed, but it is so important for success to always have a, a goal to set, personal or, or spiritually. Exactly. Uh, the second uh, aspect of the second finding is the difficulty of goals. He says, among missionaries with the same ability, those in teams that set difficult goals, goals will accomplish more than those in teams which set easy to achieve goals. If missionaries are in a team that sets a goal of meeting five new people each week, the missionaries will probably meet more people than if their team had set a goal of just meeting two new people each week. And so, again, these are not like a standard of this is the way the Bible says you're supposed to do it, the generality is, yeah, you're supposed to evangelize. Now, how are you going to implement that? And so when you set uh, more difficult goals, you may not reach those goals every time. And as a team leader, it's not your job to chastise those who don't meet the goals. But if you set a higher standard of a goal, a more difficult goal, you're going to get more done overall than if you lower the standard and say, we're just going to do this and try to get this done. And like you said, if you don't set any goal, you'll hit that mark every time. Um, but if you set a low standard, a low goal, uh, then those are easy. You'll hit those every time too. You just aren't fulfilling the potential of what you could be doing. The third finding concerns praise and encouragement to accomplish one's goal. Uh, what, what type of a personality would you say you are, Eric? Do you, if you set out to accomplish something on a team setting and then you don't get any recognition or praise from it. Let's just speak from a human aspect, all right? Your natural human instinct. Is it discouraging to not be recognized for playing your role and fulfilling your role on a team effort? Well, I think it's going to sound like false modesty, but honestly, I think over the years, maybe it has to do with the culture in. Um, my wife and I are both very um, uncomfortable with a lot of praise. And I think I think I honestly don't know what the, the, the stem and the root of that is, um, but we also understand, I think maybe because we received a lot of praise. I was an oldest child. She, whatever for a reason, had a lot of you know people praise her. And I think we also saw over the years that a lot of that was just wasn't maybe real all the, all the time. 
And we'd rather see people um, just, I don't know, do what they're supposed to do and instead of praising for things. And so but we also realized our personality isn't the same as others. And so as we had teammates over the years, we didn't seek out praise, but we realized how many times being the secondary missionary needed praise. And because we sometimes had to force ourselves to do, to say things we thought were already kind of implicit and already un- understood. And, um, you know, if you're not one that necessarily seeks after praise, sometimes you won't always give it. And that's something I had to learn from some really good examples of other missionaries who are really good at praising others. And to this day, it's still something I'm working on is to be someone who praises because I don't think it's something I seek after, but that sounds very false modest. No, I, it makes sense what you're saying. Right. Um, I would say I feel the same way. I mean, with, with sincerity, I, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm recognized for a job. I know in my heart, it doesn't matter to me, but that being said, when you're the one who's always out front when you're the one who is maybe the face of a ministry, or you're the one who's always in the pulpit, you're the one who's always being recognized by default, then when you're on a team where you're partnering with somebody who's always up front, it's not to say that your motive for fulfilling your responsibility is to be praised, but you look at that person saying, man, they're always recognized, and it can be an unconscious thing that does play on your mind. You, if you're always receiving the praise and, and you're doing such a great job, we appreciate it. Because by default, you're the guy who's up front. Then the guy who is, like you said, maybe on the, you know, a partner in a team and the second, maybe in a second role, they don't get that automatically. They're doing everything behind the scenes. And it can be discouraging if you as the leader who is, you are the face of the ministry, you're not recognizing those who are allowing you to be and fulfill what God has called you as the leader to be. And so it's very important to show gratitude, to recognize those around you who are serving, uh, recognize their faithfulness to the Lord and make it public. Make sure others know uh, who you're ministering to that, hey, I couldn't be doing this without the support of my partner over here. I couldn't be doing this. I make sure our churches know all the time we would not be where we are today in our ministry if it wasn't for the partnership of Malik Jope. We just, we wouldn't we'd be light years behind. And so, even though we are the face of the ministry here in Senegal to our churches in the states, uh, he is the one who has partnered with us. We just we wouldn't be where we are without him. And so, make sure, yeah, if you're a leader. And you have that same sentiment as Eric and I that, well, yeah, it doesn't matter because I've died, I've died to all that. That may be so, but recognize that those who are working with you, even though they may be dead to the criticism and dead to self and all of that, uh, they still need that aspect of that human recognition and gratitude uh, so that there's a sense of, hey, I'm a part of something bigger than myself and uh, I'm fulfilling God's calling in my life, even though I don't get the recognition all the time that, you know, the team leader does. Uh, Let's finish it off with the final aspect, this last point of group goals. He says, the fourth finding Uh, relating to team goals and team performance concerns cognitive effort. When a team fixes goals and discusses them, missionaries think more about how to accomplish the goals and come up with better ideas than if the team hadn't set goals. So the increased thinking about goals lead to additional motivation to stick with them even when there are setbacks. And so he simply says, make goals and then talk through them analyze. Uh, A team leader needs to be analytical. You need to constantly analyze. 
the decisions you've made. Are we implementing the goals? If we've implemented the goals and we're executing the goals and it's not succeeding, is this maybe a bad goal? What are some other ideas? How can we revamp it? Let's go back and revisit this other decision we made. Do we need to make some changes to it? A leader needs to be constantly thinking through every aspect of the ministry and how it's flowing and functioning uh, because things change and situations change and sometimes there's setbacks and sometimes there's something new that arises that you have to approach. And I think you need to understand that principles don't change. Discernment for a team leader, discernment is important. Developing the biblical discernment so that you can approach new situations and apply biblical principles without forcing some other standard you've created that doesn't work. A team needs to practice biblical discernment so that when the new challenge arises, we could step back and say, hey, we may have done this in the past, but I don't think that's going to work for this situation. Let's figure out how we can come up with a new solution using the biblical principles that we always apply, but let's implement it into this new decision. And so those were really important aspects. Eric, why don't you give me some thoughts on that and then share with me kind of your concluding thoughts. So one of the things that was coming to mind when you were talking about that last part about the group goals and group decisions, and really, you know, there's lots of lives, lots of um, the word in Spanish is uh, epocas or like uh, steps of life while you're a missionary. And there's, there's a step of life sometimes when you're just kind of holding on, you know what I mean? Like, I know I need to do this, 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 and this. And life is just topsy-turvy and you're, you know, I need to preach every week. I need to evangelize. I need to disciple. Then there's also seasons of life when you are, like you say, kind of reevaluating everything, you know, going, you know, turning things upside down, looking, make sure they're still effective. That's one of the great advantages of having a teammate is having someone who can look at things from a different perspective. Uh, sometimes two teammates, three teammates together. Um, no better example of this in my personal life recently, as we were transitioning away from a teammate was during uh, COVID. And during, I know Josh, maybe not had the same adjustments, but we had many adjustments. And those who are listening, who may be in foreign countries may still be suffering and going through many different measures that have been placed upon them that make normal ministry pre 2020 very different. In fact, we've had to, for the last two years, pretty much every single activity and church service and, and thing we do in a ministry setting had to go through a filter of how does this work with COVID? How does this work with our government restrictions? And so one of the things I've learned over the time is that, you know, in many ways, our world has now changed and how people in their men mental state, in our culture, now still, maybe it'll get back to pre-2020 and one day we'll look back and it's, but now we still have to do ministry differently, even though the restrictions have been lifted, people's mentality of, let's say, this is simple and silly, but when we do a youth activity, having all the kids holding hands, doing like, you know, a, a particular game or a game where there's going to be close contact or, or a game, you just, and so that requires another level of discernment as Josh is talking about, Another level of understanding, just because we did this in the past, I know Josh has supporting churches he goes to, and he can't tell the difference between 2022 and 2007 when he went, you know, because it's probably the same pastor doing the same thing he's done for 15 to 17 years. And sometimes it's because the load is so hard, you can only keep doing the next thing. 
But that's the blessing of having teammates is that you can look at things, change things, have a helper in the faith, train up nationals, work together. And that's really kind of ending on the positivity is that when you're doing it right, everyone can kind of come to the table with their ideas, uh, their abilities, and they can say, we can do more for the cause of Christ. I really feel like a team should only get together when they feel like together, it's going to be, you know, multiplication, not just addition. Um, if it's just addition, sometimes it can be addition and subtraction, and you become less than a positive number, becomes a negative number. But when two teams are on the same page, it really can become multiplication. And you're not only working together, but you're training nationals and getting them involved in the work. And as we transition here to the end, this is why I really feel like this is not something so super spiritual. One of the things we haven't actually talked a lot about in these three podcasts, which is really the goal of New Testament missions that Josh and I see from the Bible and most people is that you're trying to train up nationals to take over the work. And so in, in kind, all of this, as far as teammates should be brothers and sisters should be temporary in our mindset, you know, and I think if our expectation is this is not forever, it's not to say you're not committed to the decision, but the idea that we're going to be working in the same church with the same family for 10 or 15 years, if you're doing that, there may be specific cases where that's what the Lord wants, but you probably don't have the right goals in mind because you should be trying to turn this church over to nationals to lead. And so if we understand that this idea of teammates, we're talking for segmented times learning how to work together. And if we're talking times that aren't really long in period of years upon years, then everyone should be able to get together, use their abilities, and then go on to the next place. That article is basically, that concludes the article. Um, I think it was a great article. I'm going to share it in the show notes below. But last week when we were prepping for this week's show and talking about it, you brought up some great points about maybe if you're working by yourself somewhere, reapproaching how you even define or your expectation of team and how you would talk about collaboration maybe with other missionaries. Why don't you speak to that a little bit before we close out? Yeah, I think uh, it's funny because the notes I had were had to do more with being on a good teammate when you're actually on a team. And I'll just run, run through those real quickly. Um, being a good teammate really requires good communication. Like if you're in your marriage, you have to have good communication. Josh talked about this a lot. I think in the last episode, being humble, understanding that, you know, if you're the lead missionary, as Josh said, I think it was the last episode, it just means you're the lead servant. Uh, we're all servants of the Lord. Um, that is so much, much, much important than anything is being humble to just do whatever uh, the Lord puts in front of us to be flexible, understanding that things arise in life. Uh, those who are missionaries understand flexibility is one of the keys to living a blessed life on the mission field. And then be ready for transition. Understand that everything is in transition. Um, everything is in the moment of, of flux. And some could be weeks, can be months, can be years, but everything is in some sort of transition. And then if you really want to be a good teammate, uh, one of the things I've learned over the years, the best teammates are sometimes usually the ones who are the best friends. You know, be a good friend. Now, Going back to what Josh was just speaking of, Josh and I offline were talking about uh, teammates and not to be discouraging, but very seldom are teams together for long, long periods of time. Uh, very often they don't work out from all the reasons we spoke about in the last three podcasts. But one thing we would say is maybe one way of team missions can be considered is not necessarily everyone working 
under the same umbrella of one ministry, but working together in close proximity to help each other out. Uh, we have been blessed not only to send out our church planners, who, who we help out, and we they take over for me when I'm gone and vice versa when they have to go out of town, but also other North American missionaries who are within 20, 30, 40 minutes away, you know, really collaborating, going to each other's um, revivals and Bible conferences, getting together for camps with the youth, uh, having youth rallies together, having family um, conferences together and really saying, okay, they're not under my umbrella in our ministry, but boy, we are going to support them as much as we possibly can as a congregation. Your congregation picks up on this as well. They get very excited going out of town to encourage the brothers and sisters at this other church. And I really think sometimes we look at as team missions has to be everyone in the same church when sometimes we can hit the same city or the same uh, province together and really build a camaraderie and understand that, you know, they may do their evangelism X, Y, Z. We do it. We're all doing evangelism. Uh, they may do their discipleship this direct, this way. And we use this book, but we're all doing discipleship. There's so few things that we're going to disagree on, but we can agree on so many. And I really feel like being a good team member may not necessarily mean you're under the same Baptist church or Bible church or whatever, you know, who's listening today, but really that you're, you're, you're really behind that person and you're going to help them succeed with your energy and uh, your prayers and uh, really your, your companionship. Those are such important principles to implement when you're working on a team, implement in your own marriage, implement in uh, your church life as a pastor. Um, it's just, it's healthy overall. Uh, God created us you know, for community, uh, read the book of First John and the importance of fellowship one with another in the truth and fellowship, which is rooted in uh, Jesus Christ. Well, I hope that what we've shared these past couple of weeks have been a blessing. Uh, I know it's, it's been a blessing just kind of going over this again. We are hosting this summer three young people from Bible College. Uh, our prayer and desire is that God will send us uh, more teammates, more laborers, those who have a heart calling to reach those who are unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to reach Senegal for Jesus Christ. We want to see the Gambia reached for Jesus Christ, West Africa, North Africa. This part of the world needs laborers. And uh, when we work together to accomplish that task of world evangelism, uh, there's no stopping what can be done for the glory of Jesus Christ when we implement some of these principles, which are biblical in its foundation, in order to fulfill God's calling in our life. So, Eric, uh, we appreciate this team, this team of podcasting and working together. And uh, I'm looking forward to coming and visiting Dominican Republic in the future with my family. And uh, if I spoke Spanish, maybe we could partner and do more as a team. But hey, right now we're just going to partner in what we do know English and do this podcast. But I appreciate your partnership in this. And uh, why don't you go ahead and close us out with any final thoughts? I want to reiterate on behalf of the Dominican Republic as well that we are praying for more laborers. It's unfortunate that during COVID, we actually saw an influx of missionaries who had to leave the island for various reasons. And so we not only pray for national laborers, and that's what we strive for, but, you know, those who might come alongside and help be part of training. Uh, it's a great, great wide open mission field. Many cities still unreached. Many large cities have very little presence. And so missionary, uh, after you think, consider the Gambia 
and you consider <laughs> Senegal, understand that today we are getting our first McDonald's. And so if you're kind of a wimpy missionary like me, you might consider you know, stamping out on faith a little bit and coming to the Dominican Republic. But hey, teammates are great. Um, working together, it's biblical. And we pray that these uh, podcasts have been a blessing. So this is Eric Johnson from the Dominican Republic. Josh Mead from Senegal, West Africa. Be sure to leave a, a review, comment, like, share these posts with your friends, especially with somebody you might think this would benefit. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening wherever you're at. God bless.